I'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We are going to continue our, uh, i got to get this water off here, continue with the story we began to look at of Mary last week. Uh, here's, here's the question that, I, that I, this text is asking. Uh, here's the question that we're going to open with. What is one of your greatest struggles in life? And I want you to try to capture it if you can. And hopefully it comes very easily for you to think about. What is one of your greatest struggles in life? Got it? Okay, good. One of my greatest struggles in life is this, thinking, feeling, and acting like I keep a relationship with God going. Perhaps you can relate. It creeps in everywhere. It creeps in everywhere in my life. Like I, I can feel it creep in the moment I wake up. I could sometimes without even wanting, sometimes involuntarily, sometimes like instantaneously, sometimes intrusively, sometimes unwelcomedly, I'll be anxious. Anxious like, okay, I need to connect with God for the day. I need to control my closeness with him for the day. And once I make that connection and once I control that closeness, I, I feel like I have to hold on to it all day and hopefully don't do something that I'm consciously aware of or something that I stupidly do that somehow makes this connection break or somehow disconnects this closeness that I have with God. I think and I feel and I act like I keep a relationship with God going. It creeps in everywhere. Like when I pray, when I pray, I, I try to feel it. I try to feel prayerful. I'll, I'll discipline my way through prayer. Uh, I try to say the right thing and say it the right way. I'll, I'll pray through acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I'll open Operation World and I'll pray for the whole world. I'll I'll go through all the needs of everyone I know and I'll go lists after lists, but my mind wanders and my heart still stays cold. I'll pray and I'll pray and I'll pray, but I seem to go nowhere. I think and I feel and I act like I keep a relationship with God going. It creeps in everywhere. Like when I sin. When I sin, there's this sense of over guilt that just overrides me and overwhelms me. There's this sense of failure and there's this sense of condemnation of my very being. It's like, it's like the roots of my existence start unraveling till somehow I feel better. Somehow eventually I can start feeling good about myself. I think and I feel and I act like I keep a relationship with God growing. It creeps in everywhere, like when I want to be used by him, like when I want to be a, a fit instrument in his hands, and I want to be a, a holy instrument in his hand. I want to try to maintain good spiritual disciplines, like read the Bible, study the Bible, pray regularly, meditate on the scriptures, I have my prayer list, right? Read spiritual books regularly. I try to confess all known sin. Perhaps you can relate, and sometimes that takes a long time, and then when it doesn't, I even get worried about that. I try to make friends and have gospel conversations. You get the point. Preach, teach, lead, disciple, do pastoral care, envision, strategize to bring the gospel to more and more people. 
I think and I feel and I act like I keep a relationship with God going. Perhaps you can relate. Now, others of you are out there thinking, good night. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't believe in God. That sounds absolutely like a miserable existence. Yeah, it is. That is a miserable way to live the Christian life. But you know what? You're no different. Because even though if you don't believe in God, you still think and feel and act like you keep your career going. Like you keep a romantic relationship going. Like you keep good karma going. Like you keep your marriage going, you keep the well-being of your kids going, like you keep your importance going, like you keep your influence going, like you keep your happiness going. During game day yesterday on ESPN, there was this commercial that came on, and it was, you could tell it was Christmas time. It had all the sentimental music, and it had this, these sequence scenes where this little girl was obviously up to something, and each scene, she was putting something together. You didn't know what it was, and her mom was overlooking at it and wondering, like, what is she up to? And then by the end of the commercial, you know, you finally come to realize what she's been doing, and she's been knitting uh, a very colorful sweater for one of her family-farmed animals, a lamb that just recently got shaved bare. And it was one of these crescendo moments with the music and the mom seeing it and everybody, you know, watching this. It was a feel-good moment. And then the interpretation of this whole thing scrolls across the screen and it says, Christmas is what you make it. We think, we feel, we act, we relate, we live like we keep life going, like we keep Christmas going, like you keep a relationship with God going. And here's what's absolutely stunning about this passage that there's, there's this woman named Mary and she learns differently. She learns to think differently. She learns to feel differently. She learns to act differently. She learns to live differently. She relates completely differently than that. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. So the reading today is Luke chapter 1, verse 36 through 56. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, 
My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated, y'all. So, Lord, we ask that you would shine on the page. Oh, Jesus, uh, would you, by your Spirit, enlighten the eyes of our heart that we would actually come with greater clarity about who you are and what you've done and that we would feel it even more deeply in our life. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, so let's look at verses 46 and 47. I want you to look at what Mary says. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary's soul, in other words, her spirit, they're the same thing, just two different angles or looks at it. This is her innermost being. This is her solid self. This is the, this is the roots of her existence, the center of her identity, the, the hidden depths of her personality. It is who she is, and look what's happening. Her soul is magnifying. The depths of her being are expanding. They're enlarging. They're moving. They're incredibly active. It's this, it's pulsating with life. It's magnifying, right? And then look at Mary's spirit. This is, again, the, the roots of her very existence, the core of her whole person, the place that is hidden, the place that is deep, the place that's involuntary, this is the place you don't will into being. This is the place you don't will to do something. This is the, the spontaneous, instantaneous, involuntary way of thinking, feeling, acting, living. This place, her spirit, is rejoicing. It's filling and overflowing with unrestrained, pure joy. This word is so fantastic. Because God's in the grammar. I want you to look at that word rejoice. And if you've got a pencil or pen, circle it, box it, do whatever you do. This is a new word. This is a word that was not seen in the Greek language. This is a word that was not seen in the world at the time. In other words, Christianity inserted this word into the Greek language. Christianity inserted this word into the world. So this word did not exist in the Greek language before Christianity. It did not exist in the world before Christianity. So this means whatever is happening here with Mary is new to the world. It's new to the human soul. It's new to the innermost hidden depths core of who you are. It's a new phenomenon. It's new thinking and new feeling and new relating and new acting and new living. It's a new state of joy. Everyone on the planet wants what she has. It doesn't matter if you're a church person. It doesn't matter if you're an unchurched person. You want what's happening in this passage. 
You need what Mary is experiencing. The opposite of what Mary is experiencing is an old self. The opposite of what Mary is experiencing is an old state of guilt. If Paul was here, he'd say, oh, my word, it's, the, it's in Romans. He says it's this, it's this spirit, lowercase spirit. It's the soul of slavery to fear. In other words, he says, hidden in the, in the very depths of your being is a driving emotion called anxiety and fear, and every human being has it. It comes with you into the world. So our, our, our psychologists today say, hey, man, we're seeing, like, anxiety stuff off the charts. We're, we're seeing stuff that high school kids are experiencing that back in the 40s and 50s people were locked up for, and now it's commonplace, and they call today the age of anxiety, and the scriptures would say every age is the age of anxiety because anxiety is the human condition. It's in you. It's this, the opposite of what Mary's experiencing is the old self of striving. It's the old thinking and feeling and doing and acting of exhaustion. It's the old soul of sorrow. Nobody wants that. An unchurched person doesn't want this. A church person doesn't want to experience this. We need to experience what Mary is experiencing. And so obviously the question then is, well, how in the world do you do that? How do you get what's happening? Like Mary's, ha something's happening to her. How do you get that? How do you experience that? How does this become rule true in your life? How do you get this new state of being? How do you get this new self? This new way of thinking and feeling and acting and doing and relating and reliving. How do you get it? The text is going to give us one answer, and so we're going to look at the answer. But when the text gives us one answer, it's going to give you the answer, and then it's going to spin it in three perspectives or three angles. One answer, angle one, angle two, angle three. A diamond with different cuts. And in this diamond, one answer with three cuts. So here's the answer. Are you ready? How do you experience this? First, you do not keep a relationship with God going, the text says. Or, if we were to, the text was to come alongside and reinterpret that commercial on ESPN game day, it would say, Christmas is not what you make it. Angle number one. You ready? We first meet Mary, what, in the middle of a panic attack. I mean, look at verse 30 of chapter 1. And the angel said to her, stop fearing Mary, stop fearing Mary. Now, unlike Zechariah, which was her uncle, when Gabriel, this celestial, supernatural being, comes in and appears to Zechariah, I mean, he appeared to Daniel thousands of years ago, and he, he appeared and confronted a preternatural being, another one just like him, but on the dark side, called the Prince of Persia. So Gabriel says he stands in the presence of God. In fact, when Zechariah sees him and starts freaking out, he says, stop, I stand in the presence of God. So this is an angel that is in God's presence. There's actually a rank of angels, which is kind of crazy. There's like these concentric circles of concentrations of power and holiness and beauty that get more concentrated the closer you get to God. So if Gabriel stands in the presence of God, he's a highly concentrated, holy, beautiful, majestic, splendid, blazing being. 
So of course Zechariah freaks out. You'd freak out. It would make the conjuring, it would make Insidious look like Toy Story. But what's so fascinating here is that Mary, unlike Zechariah, is not freaking out at the presence of the angel. Is not freaking out at the person of the angel. Mary's freaking out at the words of the angel. The good words of the angel. The grace words of the angel. But he keeps talking to her. He keeps speaking words to her. He keeps speaking grace words to her. He keeps speaking good words to her. And notice what happens by the end of this highly powerful exchange of words. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Now this is politically, this is politically correct language. So translators come in and they're like, no, we're not going to translate it that way. That's, that's too, it's just not right. Here's the literal translation. Behold, I am a female slave of God. I am enslaved to God. Let it be according let it be to me according to your word. Do you see it? Let it be to me according to your word. All of a sudden troubling words Trembling words become sustaining words for her. Scary words become good words to her. Anxious, sorrowful, disruptive words become grace words to her. Do you see what's happening here? In other words, she's wrestling with God's word. What's happening in that whole section is she is in a She's like Jacob. She's wrestling with God by wrestling with his words, and, and God's word wins. God's word acts. God's word works. God's word intrudes. God's word moves. God's word performs. God's word is living and active. God's word works. You do not keep a relationship with God going. God's word keeps a relationship with God going. So what do you do then? What do you do with your sorrow? What do you do with your, your sunken spirit? What do you do with an old self of guilt? What do you do with an exhausted self? What do you do with a stressed self? What do you do with a striving self? What do you do with an anxious self, a needy self, a weak self? The answer from the text is drag yourself to the word. Drag yourself. Just get yourself to the very words of God. Get yourself to the Bible. Drag your relationships. Drag your mess. Drag your sin. Drag your work. Drag your life to the word to become a servant, a slave of the word. And when you drag yourself there, what do you do? Just get yourself there. What do you do? Listen. 
When Luther would train anyone on how to read the Bible, he trained his seminary students, he trained other pastors, he trained his congregation. This is what he'd do. He'd say, okay, I want you to open up the Bible. And they'd go, where do you want us to open it up? And he goes, it doesn't matter. Just open up the Bible. And they'd open up the Bible, and he goes, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Are you ready? Yes, I, I've opened it. I'm at, I'm at Luke chapter 1. He goes, great. Chapter 1, yes, okay. Shut up. And listen. Let the word work for you. Let the word work on you. Let the word work in you. Let the word work through you. Let the word do the work. Shut up and listen. Colin mentioned at the beginning, after Christmas and New Year, and the New Year's starting in January, we're going to kick off the we're going to kick off the spring. And we're going to kick off a new era in Redeemer reaching and renewing as many people as possible in Waco. We're going to start a powerful prayer night. We're going to do that throughout the calendar year. And it'll be a power-packed hour where we're going to bring our weak, needy selves to the one who's mighty and great. And prayer is just a practical, functional way of connecting legitimate needs of the human condition to the wonder and worth and work of a son. And prayer is just an experiential way of that taking place, and that's what we're going to do together. Uh, we'll sing, uh, we'll petition, we'll hear about what's happening in the church. We're going to pray for people, places, this area, the city. And we're just going to do that because we're actually going to believe that God does the work and we're going to trust him for it. And then, and then after that, I'm going to teach a six-week class all next spring, a six-week class. We're going to kind of divide things up into six weeks and eight weeks. And the six-week class is going to be on an evening for an hour, and I'm going to teach on this topic. How do you read your Bible? Because the Word doesn't need you to keep a relationship with God going. The Word does the work. Angle number one. Angle number two, look at verses 46 through 45. These are called, this is called the Magnificat. I mean, in some traditions, this is like the centerpiece of the Bible. It is the Mona Lisa of all sacred writings. It is the Pike's Peak of every biblical literature. Uh, it's the stuff of legends. It's been recognized for over 2,000 years inside and outside the church. A sheer masterpiece. A sheer, just literarily and just as a piece of work, it's a masterpiece. It's the stuff of like concerts, it's the stuff that's inspired music, it's the stuff that's spun off novels, it's the stuff that's captured the imagination and traditions of multiple expressions and denominations of Christianity from the East and the West, from the Catholic and the Protestant to the Eastern and to the Orthodox, and to anything that expresses some form of Christianity. But what's so fascinating about it is this is not a prayer. Most folks think it's a prayer. Most folks think it's, it's Mary praying to God, and she's not praying. Well, how do you know that, Jeff, she's not praying? Because she's praying. If she's praying, it's an awkward prayer. She's in the third person. He does this. He does that. It's he. It's not you. It's not second person. So in other words, she's not talking to God prayer. She's talking about God. Like, it's Deeply personal, like it's a personal statement of faith. And that's why traditions across the board, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, have said 
This is like, this section is like Mary's the model of faith. In fact, one scholar, when he came to this text, he says, no one in Israel's history ever responded like Mary is. In other words, you can go through all the Old Testament history, look at David, you could look at Daniel, you could look at these Moses, these giants, and when Mary shows up, she puts them in the dust. And so what's happening here is an inside look into what faith looks like. Some of us, I mean, we think faith is everything, right? Christianity, but it's faith, it's trusting God, and we, we talk like faith is everything. So here it is. You have right here faith. And the text is going to cut it open and let you see what it looks like. You want to know what faith is, the Bible says, here it is. You want to see what's on display, faith, so that you can grasp it, so that you can say, okay, this is what I need. This is what I need to do. This is what it looks like. Here it is. It's right here for us. So the question is, what does the Bible, what does God, what does Mary want to tell you about faith? This is a human being at the epitome of trusting God, unparalleled in in religious history. What are we supposed to see? Are you ready? Here it is. Here's what you're supposed to see. Faith is not center stage. Faith is not the star in the show. Faith is not Hamlet or Romeo or Juliet. Faith is not Luke Skywalker or Princess Leia. Faith is not Harry Potter or Hermione. Faith is not Woody or Buzz Lightyear. Faith is not famous at all. Faith doesn't like any attention at all. Faith pushes off the stage all the time. What's happening in verses 46 and 47 is the only two verbs by which Mary's accomplishing. Her soul magnifies, her spirit rejoices, God is the subject of every single verb through the rest of the Magnificat. In other words, God is the one working. God is the one performing. God is the one doing. God is the one acting. God is the one who's famous. And faith finally gets that. Do you want to have faith? Do you want the model of faith? How do you know when faith is present in a human being? How do you know when, oh, there's faith. How do you know when it's present in a child? How do you know when it's present in a teenager? How do you know when it's present in you and me? How do you know? You know what the first answer from the Bible is? You know faith is present. You know faith is active. You know faith is there when the person says they have none. And all they look to is God. That's faith. Faith is not famous. God is. Look what's happening here. God looks on her, verse 48. God does great things for her, verse 49. God exercises power for her, verse 51. 
God scatters her enemies for her, verse 51. God breaks her chains for her, verse 52. God exalts her, verse 52. God feeds the famine in her soul, verse 53. God helps her and others in need, verse 54. God speaks to her and others throughout all human history forever and ever, verse 55. Faith is not famous. God is famous. And faith finally gets that. Faith does not keep a relationship with God going. God keeps a relationship with God going, and faith finally recognizes that. Faith finally holds on to what God does, what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. That's it. And from that place erupts my soul, magnifies the Lord. My spirit is rejoicing in God my Savior. New thinking, new feeling, new relating, new living, all spring from the well of a heart that trusts only God. Whenever we try to keep a a relationship with God going, that's faith in your faith. Or it's faith in yourself. Or it's faith in your feelings. Or it's faith in your thinking. Or it's faith in your feeling. Or it's faith in your relating. And faith in your living. And faith in your techniques. And faith in what you, you know, try to f- be sincere about or be passionate about. Or faith in some step you do. Or faith in some biblical principle you apply. Or faith in some way you activate God. Or f- it's endless faith in faith. And your faith will always fail. We come alive in the work of another. We arise and expand and become new in the work of another. And faith gets that. Faith says, I am not, I have nothing but him. Angle number two. Look at angle number three now. Notice wherever the child goes, things happen. You see that? Verse 40. And she, Mary with child, entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, this is incredible. So Mary's with child, right? So the conception has happened. The Holy Spirit has localized his presence in her, conceived a king, a royalty, a person, God person that just blows everybody's mind. If you can figure it out, come see me. Um, It happens she walks in with this child, Mary, uh, Elizabeth, her aunt, is with child, John the Baptist. And when Mary comes in contact with child, with Elizabeth, with child, things happen. First, the baby, John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's womb, leaps with joy. And then watch, keep reading the text. Then it says, and, the conjunction, and, and, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. When the child shows up, things happen. When the child shows up, people leap for joy. When the child shows up, people are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is absolutely amazing. This is absolutely breathtaking. This is so counterintuitive. This is a complete reversal of how we think the Christian life works. Do you want your spirit to leap? 
Do you want your stress to leap? Do you want your guilt to leap? Do you want your sin to leap? Do you want your exhaustion to leap? Do you want your sorrow to leap? Do you want your striving to leap? Do you want your unbelief to leap? Go to the child, and it will leap. Oh, and we're not done yet, because when, I mean, do you want your prayers to leap? Do you want your Bible reading to leap? Do you want your Bible study to leap? Go to the child. Do you want to get filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, here we are at the very beginning of Christianity. All the controversies about the Holy Spirit today. How you tap into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit. How you surrender all or surrender enough or do two steps or do five steps and activate the Holy Spirit. How you have the Holy Spirit accessed in your life. How you have access to it. How the life-changing powers and supernatural wonders of it are released in you, released in the world, released in your ministry. Yada, 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 right? Endless, endless, endless. Endless confusion on the Holy Spirit. And here right at the beginning of Christianity, the Bible says, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Go to the child. All the secrets, all the mysteries, end there. When the child shows up, stuff happens. Go to the child who looks on you, right? I mean, he looks on you. He, he looks on you and your needs. So when Jesus looks on you, and this is we're going to figure out what this child, he looks on all throughout Luke, he looks on people. It's very fascinating. So here in the Magnificat, we're, she's celebrating the fact that God looks on her. And then we're going to see that Jesus looks on people all throughout Luke. And he looks on people in ways that we can't even fathom because he looks on the most notorious sinners. He'll go and he'll look on the woman at the well, so to speak. And we see, ah, look at it. He's going to show her that she's an adulteress. She's had five husbands. She commits serial sex. Get her Jesus. And Jesus goes, and all of a sudden, he, when he sees her, it says he looks on her. And he wants her to know that he knows everything about her. And he loves her. She goes into the town and she says, I mean, a prostitute, serial sex. She says, come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. And that was supposed to be good news. Because when you get Jesus looking on you, you get someone who looks and knows everything about you, knows everything about you. And he wants you to know he knows everything about you but he loves you. This child looks on Mary, looks on you in your need and in your anxiety and your guilt and your stress and your sin with compassion, with mercy, with love. When that hits the heart, you magnify the Lord. You rejoice. I mean, go to the child who do, has done great things for you. In other words, the moment that God became a human being, he just, the moment that that conception took place, you know what happened? He now just united himself with you. The moment Jesus was conceived, he has now united himself with you, with your humanity, because he's now your substitute. And so he's taking he takes your old self. He takes the old way of thinking and feeling and relating and living and doing. 
He takes your old way of relating. He takes the old way of anxiety. He takes the old way of stress and sin. He takes the old self of the innermost being. He takes your old nature on himself. It's no longer yours. And he gives you a new one, his. That's why there's a capacity for new thinking and new feeling. That's why he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. There's a, Paul says, you're now a new creation. Practically, if we were to take one slice of that, that old self, what he does is he takes your guilt. And the moment he entered, the, the moment he's in Mary's womb, he is taking your guilt. He is taking the old flesh. He's taking the old self. And then he goes to the cross and he kills it. So your guilt is dead. He's done great things for you. I mean, we can keep going, right? Go to the child who exercised and exercises delivering power for you. Go to the child who scattered and scatters your enemies. Past tense and present tense. Go to the child who broke past tense, breaks your chains. Go to the child who exalted past tense and exalts present tense you. Go to the child who feeds the famine in your soul. Go to the child who helps you in your need. Go to the child who speaks to you forever and ever. Go to the child, the text says. <laughs> Go to the child. So the Word doesn't need you to keep a relationship with God going. The Word does the work. Faith doesn't need you to keep a relationship with God going. Faith needs God to keep a relationship with God going. The child doesn't need you to keep a relationship with God going. When the child shows up, things happen. Angle number three. Christmas is not what you make it. It's what the child made it. And what the child makes it for you.